When we set out to do anti-racist and anti-bias work, a common question is, how do I make time for it in my classroom? I'm Brett from Heinemann. Today on the podcast, we're listening to an excerpt from the audiobook Start Here, Start Now, a guide to anti-bias and anti-racist work in your school community. Author Liz Kleinrock dedicates chapter two of her book to making time for anti-racist and anti-bias work, which she refers to as A-bar work. As Liz explains, the answer is more within reach than many of us might think if we're new to this work. Here is Liz Kleinrock reading from chapter two of her book, Start Here, Start Now. Chapter two, how can I make time for A-bar work? Not long ago, I was on a call with a friend who had just started teaching at a new school because she and her partner moved out of state. She loved the autonomy she'd had at her last school. After interviewing at a few schools in her new city, she accepted a job at a school that appeared promising. Soon after she started, she found herself highly scrutinized by her new administration and colleagues. She told me, quote, I feel like every minute of the day is dictated for me. Everyone has to use the same curriculum and teach the same things at the same time. All the teachers on my team have been there longer than me, and they insist we all read the same books. If your bulletin boards look different than everyone else's, teachers talk about you. I used to teach things like ethnic studies and do all these projects with my students. You can barely call this teaching. It's like reading a script written by someone else. End quote. My friend is not the only teacher working in this type of environment. I know many educators who express the desire to engage in ABAR work with their students, but feel there is no time in an already packed schedule. Some share stories of being written up for failing to post the daily standards on the board. Others say they feel anxious when being monitored by administrators who walk into classrooms to see if everyone is teaching the same lesson at the same time. One teacher shared, quote, At my first school, I taught along with six other teachers on my team. If we didn't give a unit test all in the same day, an administrator would visit our room and we would get reprimanded. It would also be noted that we were uncooperative or weren't being a team player. Strict pacing was a huge challenge. I could recognize that students needed more time on the topic, but if my class averages were low, I'd be questioned if I taught the material. Creativity was stifled because people felt like those activities would take too many class periods, end quote. States either have their own standards or utilize common core state standards. Some even have requirements of how many minutes should be spent teaching certain subjects each day. I certainly don't want to speak for other teachers regarding pacing and scripted curricula. For many people, especially those who are new to teaching, designated lessons and agendas can help provide structure. However, when teachers are handed boxes of curriculum and a prescribed schedule with little room for flexibility or creativity, it can be challenging to determine when and how to incorporate subjects that don't fit into traditional subject blocks. It's demoralizing to feel like you don't have time to address ABAR work in your classroom, but there are ways to weave it into your mandated curriculum. Setting yourself up for success viewing ABAR as a lens for all subjects. First and foremost, effective and meaningful ABAR work is neither an add-on to your curriculum nor a separate block on your agenda. If you walk into my classroom, you will not see 9.30 to 10 a.m. social justice time 
written on the whiteboard schedule. Many teachers view ABAR work as an either or option, as if they have to decide between science and social justice and can only teach one. When ABAR is truly part of your teaching philosophy and practice, it becomes a lens through which you can teach any and all subjects. Think about how ABAR work aligns with your curriculum and standards. Dr. Sarah Kersey, she, her, of UCLA's teacher education program, recounted working with novice teachers who are trying to integrate social justice topics but felt stifled by curriculum requirements. She says, quote, It's vitally important to have strong knowledge of the standards because you can't adapt any curriculum until you know what the students are going to be held accountable to standards-wise. End quote. If sticking to the standards is a priority, get to know the standards at the grade level you teach as well as the previous and upcoming grades. Standards-aligned instruction can be interpreted in many ways. If your school requires that you visibly display the lesson plan standards, you need to know them well enough to explain how students will master them. For example, the California fourth grade social studies standards focus heavily on state history, including immigration, indigenous peoples, missions, and the gold rush. If you were to enter my classroom, you might see my students reading accounts of Chinese railroad workers, women, and formerly enslaved African Americans during the gold rush, writing comparative essays about immigration issues in the past and present, or reflecting on the impact of climate change on California's agricultural production and what we can do to combat the drought in our everyday lives. If an administrator were to enter my classroom and saw my students working on any of these assignments, I would immediately be able to identify which standards were being addressed and how students were independently practicing these skills. I could explain what standards we are working on and how my students will meet those standards. Becoming familiar with the standards and curriculum of your school or district allows you to plan backwards and ahead. It also helps you identify areas to supplement, replace, or that might require additional student resources. Ask yourself, are certain standards and curricular units emphasized more than others? How can you organize your time to focus on the concepts your students need to explore the most? I might think through curriculum requirements. I then identify the subjects I have to teach, what I have to teach within each subject, and consider the content with an ABAR lens. You can start with one subject or work across subjects, as I did. It's also helpful to fill out the planner with a grade team or a PLC. You can also organize ABAR work across multiple subjects under a common theme. As a second grade teacher, one of my earliest units focused on gender stereotyping and representation. I based this unit on conflicts that cropped up between students making generalizations, such as, girls can't do that, or boys aren't supposed to. After becoming thoroughly exasperated with the constant stereotyping in my class, I wanted to figure out a way to blend social-emotional learning with our academic subjects. Additionally, as my own awareness developed, I recognized the importance of including and elevating non-binary and trans people who had been left out by male-female stereotyping. How could I use a the theme of gender stereotyping as a way to synthesize our math, reading, and writing lessons and open our discussions up to the real world. Concepts taught in isolation are far less likely to stick, 
and I couldn't put every subject on hold in order to solve social problems. Adopt a critical lens to problematic mandated books. Many educators are concerned about being forced to teach books and curricula that perpetuate stereotypes or elevate white Eurocentric narratives in history. Sometimes they are ostracized by colleagues for speaking up. In these situations, teachers can refocus their lessons by adopting a critical lens or by juxtaposing the required text or lesson with another. Dr. Kersey described one such situation with a novice teacher who was required to teach Mark Twain's Adventures of Tom Sawyer, but felt it was outdated and wanted her fifth grade students in Los Angeles to read more culturally responsive books. She said, quote, First, we had a conversation about the spaces where she feels like she could push against that text, even if she couldn't throw it out completely. So one of the things that I asked her was, if you can't throw it out altogether, how can you make it quick and over? I suggested that she get the excerpt that she has to read on an audiobook and have her kids just listen to the text, but then pair the book with something more relevant and figure out how to do some comprehension work related to the problems involved in the text. Another direction to go in was to have her students critically examine the themes in the book, not just understanding the who, what, where, and when, but dig into the problematic notions of gender and race, end quote. Dr. Kersey suggests that if you're required to teach a book like The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, do it from a perspective that will feel more meaningful and relevant to your students. Keep in mind, Sky Tooley, they, them, is an educator and remembered one of their experiences incorporating ABAR into the classroom. Quote, I was one of two white educators in my school. We were putting together information on alternatives to Dr. Seuss for Read Across America. We wanted to explain to everyone why we weren't celebrating Dr. Seuss, and we shared information from The Conscious Kid that included a photo comparing someone in blackface to the cat in the hat. We didn't think about or realize the trauma connected to that for Black teachers in the community. So that was a big mess up. A lot of our African-American educators told us that was not okay. That made me realize that I really need to make sure I'm stepping back and checking where other people are coming from. Think about other people's perspectives. And even if I have good intentions, how it might impact people. Even with the best of intentions, this was still not okay. End quote. Taking action in the classroom. Build trust. Building a culture of trust and respect in the classroom is imperative if we want students to be open, honest, and communicative. Teachers must take the time to understand their students, who they are, and where they're coming from. Stay connected by being vulnerable. Brene Brown reminds us, quote, Staying vulnerable is a risk we have to take if we want to experience connection, end quote. If I'm asking my students to share themselves and be vulnerable with me and their peers in the classroom, it's important that I lead by example. I'll often open the school year by sharing my own identity during community building activities and discussing my experience as a student. I tell my students about a math teacher who made me cry in class and convinced me I was a terrible math student. I tell them that my grades in middle and high school were far from perfect, and that grades are only one measurement of understanding and academic success. I'm also honest with them when I've experienced a loss in my life, or sometimes when I'm having an off day. 
One of the most powerful classroom conversations I had was when I told students I would be taking a mental health day. It allowed a few students to feel comfortable talking about their own emotions and experiences with therapy. We cannot expect or demand our students to share who they are if we are not willing to do the same. Keep in mind, Cody Miller, he him, is an educator and suggests putting students learning first, stating, quote, white teachers have to start by examining themselves. Don't start the conversation by asking students to talk about their identities. You have to model that you're able to talk about your identity too. The reality is that over 80% of teachers are white, cisgender women. And if that's you and you can't talk about it, you're putting more of a burden on your students. End quote. Get a sense of how students feel with a quick check-in. Take a look at your teaching blocks and think about where you have some flexibility. These don't have to be huge chunks of time. It might be a 10 or 15 minute window at the beginning or end of the day during arrival or dismissal to read aloud or have students write or talk about a certain topic. Those few minutes add up and can help grow and support an ABAR classroom culture. On days when we had early dismissal, unit tests or standardized assessments, I often looked at my week's to-do list and worried about fitting in everything we had to cover. No matter how hectic the week was, there were always three short times of the day that were consistently available. Morning meeting, our post-lunch read-aloud, and closing circle. My school's morning arrival and afternoon dismissal windows spanned 15 minutes each. These were opportune times for students to start thinking about a new topic, or to reflect on a topic we had previously discussed. When they arrived every day, there would be a check-in question on the board, such as, what is something new you learned about Asian and Pacific Islander history? They were free to write as little or as much as they liked, but all students had to show me their journal response. It was a quick and easy way to check in with them individually and get a sense of how they were feeling that day. Explore stereotypes. Present students with correct terminology and help them understand the meaning of the word by making connections to prior knowledge and asking questions. In my second grade class, starting with language was important, especially since a handful of my students were emerging bilinguals. I presented them with the term stereotype. To help them understand the meaning of the word, I asked, how are teachers often shown in movies or TV shows? My students were highly amused and enjoyed listing descriptions like, teachers are strict, they wag their fingers at you and tell you to be quiet, and they're old and mean and look like someone's grandma. We created a chart listing these stereotypes about teachers. Afterward, I asked my class if their preschool, kindergarten, or first grade teachers fit these descriptions. Nearly every student disagreed. From this discussion, we built our understanding of stereotypes as a widely held but overly simple idea of a person or group. Stereotypes can sometimes seem complimentary. One student added, people who wear glasses are smart, but don't leave room for individual experiences or identities. They can also be used as a tool for gatekeeping. We ended this initial lesson by sharing perceived stereotypes of children. My students were hyper-aware of how adults often unfairly perceive them to be loud, unruly, unintelligent, and dirty. 
Since Halloween was approaching and my students were swapping ideas about their favorite costumes and characters, this felt like an opportune moment to apply our understanding of stereotypes to a real-world situation. We collected toy and costume catalogs and distributed them to groups of students. Their instructions were simple. Cut and sort the toys and costumes based on gender stereotypes. In recent years, I've added more inclusive language around gender to this activity, but students are still able to recognize the amount of toy and clothing marketing directed toward children that exists along a gender binary. The students and I observed their sorting. We looked for patterns, generated questions, debated the potential impact on children who received these gendered messages, and created a chart. One student shared that she wanted to be the karate kid for Halloween, but when her family went shopping for a costume, the outfit in the girls' section came in only one color, bright pink. When she ventured into the boys' aisle, her brother teased her for wearing a boy costume. Over the next few days, my students began volunteering more examples of gender stereotypes they notice outside of school. One boy talked about being teased for being girly because he colored his nails with a marker. A girl vented about a movie she had watched where the main female character kept making irresponsible choices and repeatedly needed to be saved by a boy. Our upcoming reading unit focused on fairy and folktales, during which the kids reveled in pointing out problematic gender roles. We talked about how the main female character in most fairy tales did not have any female friends, and relationships between female characters were strained due to jealousy over physical appearance or romantic interests. We also discussed how the male characters were presented as hypermasculine, athletic, and unemotional, which led to a deeply personal community circle where the boys in class shared their feelings about the pressure to adhere to similar expectations from peers or family members. We made a two-column cause-and-effect chart about expectations for men. For example, one of the causes we listed was, boys are supposed to play sports. We concluded that the effect was that some boys feel pressured to play sports even when they don't want to. To view the full chart for more examples, access your online resources, then find the expectations for men chart. In this unit, we simultaneously hit ELA standards about plot, cause and effect, and character analysis, all while developing a critical lens for gender stereotyping. Our work around gender also helped enhance our persuasive writing unit and mathematics application. My students were able to apply the skills from the curriculum, stating their opinions, using evidence, and providing suggestions, but directed their writing to companies that manufactured and sold toys and kids' clothing. We also pulled price comparisons for the same products marketed toward men and toward women and calculated how much more women were expected to pay for items such as bike helmets, deodorant, and haircuts of similar length. We had a separate lesson on the pink tax and gender pay disparities. The unit culminated with a discussion about what is being done in the world to dispel gender stereotypes. My students generated ideas about how to respond on the playground if someone made a stereotypical remark. We talked about ways that we push back against gender norms. We also read books that counter gender stereotypes and analyzed commercials and marketing campaigns that strive to break away from stereotypes in favor of inclusion. Ultimately, we met the goal to develop students' social consciousness while still making sure we handled our academic business. Creating a Sustainable Practice, 
reflect on lessons. Even when teachers have evidence that students are walking away from class with a more developed critical lens, lesson reflection is a necessary step that is often overlooked or forgotten in the daily classroom bustle. I have now taught the unit on gender stereotyping for many years, and each year it looks a little different. Some of the changes are based on my own learning and unlearning, such as making sure I was being inclusive of non-binary and trans students and wasn't reinforcing the gender binary. Other changes took place simply because each year I have a new class of students with different backgrounds, needs, and questions. Veteran educators can risk falling into the comfortable routine of repeating the same lessons and using the same materials every year. But teachers must pay attention to how language and ABAR ideas are evolving in our society. This does not mean that lessons have to be completely rewritten every year, but we do need to audit them to see what needs to be updated based on current events and the learners in our classroom. How do I know if it's working? Here are some of my reflections for the subject of ELA. I asked myself, what do I have to do in order to do what I want to do? In ELA, I had to teach a unit on fairy tales that uses multiple versions of Cinderella. Then I follow up by asking, how can I tackle this through an ABAR lens? After some thought, I came up with a few ideas. In my fairy tale unit, I can teach about gendered norms and gendered language. I can also lead discussions about how fairy tales can impact our ideas of gender expectations. Next, I needed to decide what or where can I supplement or substitute. I realized I can add this unit by comparing and contrasting other fairy and folktales that counter stereotypes of male saviorism and female competition. After the unit, I want to reflect on how the experience went by asking myself, how did it go? What changes do I need to make? I realized that even though the lessons went well overall, I found that many students had a difficult time moving away from gender binary language. In the future, I need to be more explicit about identities along the gender spectrum. Check on classroom culture. Even though feedback is a large part of a teacher's practice, receiving feedback about our own teaching can be hard to hear. Most educators choose this career path because of a deep-seated passion, and when our identities are tied too closely to our work, feedback feels personal. I like to view feedback as a gift, and my friend and colleague, Shay Martin, they them, taught me the importance of viewing accountability as an act of love. If I love my students, it's my responsibility to ask for their feedback, reflect on it, and adapt my practice. About every other month, I ask my students to evaluate our classroom culture and my teaching by filling out a form that includes statements like, I feel comfortable asking Ms. Kleinrock for help or expressing questions when I'm confused. I ask them to mark one of the following choices. Strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, agree, or strongly agree. The form also includes open-ended questions such as, what parts of English class are you enjoying? What is going well? And, do you have any suggestions on how to improve English class? I joke with my classes that while the principal is my employer, I actually work for my students. I enjoy recording their input in graphs and charts so we can discuss the patterns we see as a class and share honestly about our experiences.
don't reinvent the wheel. ABAR practices are new initiatives for many teachers in schools, but there are resources out there from organizations and educators who have written about and shared their practices. For example, educators Trisha Ibarvia, she, her, Lorena Herman, she, her, Dr. Kimberly Parker, she, her, and Julia Torres, she, her, built hashtag disrupt text to, quote, challenge the traditional canon in order to create a more inclusive, representative, and equitable language arts curriculum, end quote. Their website and social media community provide a space for educators to listen, learn, and share successful practices. Additionally, founders of hashtag the book chat, Scott Bayer, he, him, and Joel Garza, he, him, created a resource to help teachers identify ways to create more culturally inclusive curricula. As most teachers are not able to completely abandon their curriculum or required texts, however problematic they may be, Bayer and Garza suggested pairing or supplementing traditional texts with more recent and inclusive titles. For example, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, which centers a white savior narrative, might be paired with Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy, which explores his experience as a black lawyer fighting against systemic racism in the criminal justice system. My thanks to author Liz Kleinrock for the work she put into this book and the audiobook, which is available anywhere you buy or listen to audiobooks. All summer long, Heinemann is running a discount on our audiobooks with select vendors. You can learn more about the discount and about Liz's book, Start Here, Start Now, including a sample chapter over at blog.heinemann.com. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.